Hello and welcome to Rooftop, the UK's only dedicated roofing podcast, brought to you by LFRC. I'm Phil Campbell. And I'm Pip Applegate. On this podcast, we will interview industry figures, thought leaders and technical experts to give you all you need to know to ensure you are leading in roofing excellence. We will also bring you regular features which include things like topical news discussions, technical tips and guidance to help you stay safe on site. On this episode, we are joined by Professor Noble Francis, Economics Director at the Construction Products Association, who will be talking us through the CPA's latest scenarios. Will we have a V-shaped, U-shaped or W-shaped recession? What will be the impact of government investment on industry? And which part of construction is likely to recover the quickest? We'll be asking Noble these questions and many more. But first up, let's run through the news. Phil, what do you want to start with? So I'd like to talk about the Kickstart scheme. Okay, um, so what's involved in that? Well, it's a, a recently announced government initiative that the Chancellor um, proposed in his plan for jobs. So it's a £2 billion scheme. It's for employers in England, Wales and Scotland who want to offer young people between the ages of 16 and 24 who are claiming universal credits a six-month work placement. It's expected to create hundreds of thousands of new job opportunities for young people over the next few years. Okay, so when is the scheme supposed to start? Well, it's it's expected that the first placements will start in November and it'll be open for at least a year until December 2021. Okay, and in terms of this, more about the scheme, how will it actually work? Well, the government are actually going to pay for the um, trainees' wages up to a national minimum wage for their age range. They will also pay for national insurance contributions as well as auto-enrolment pensions for 25 hours a week. Employers, of course, are able to top up wages and the government will also pay employers um, per trainee £1,500 to set up um, any support, um, uniforms or any training that the the trainee will need. Um, So these jobs will give young people who are more likely to have been furloughed the opportunity to build their skills in the workplace, um, their employability skills in particular, and gain experience to improve their chances of finding long-term work. And in terms of NFRC members, how can they actually get involved? Well, there's actually a, a, um, a limit of 30 places. So if you're a larger company, obviously that's okay. Um, but if you have fewer than 30 placements, uh, you actually have to go through a, an intermediary body. And so that can be anything from a local authority to a charity or a trade body. And actually, the NFRC are going to act as the intermediary body for the roofing sector. Um, so if you would like to have um, a placement through this scheme, um, and uh, you know that is fewer than 30, so it could be anything from one placement up to 30, um, then you can apply through the NFRC and we'd be applying on behalf of the sector. And who should they get actually in touch with on that, Phil? Well, if they drop me an email at philipcampbell at nfrc.co.uk, then I can lodge um, how many placements they want, and then once we have enough demand, we can put an application in. Great stuff. So, something a little different for you now, as an attention-grabbing headline of spider horror recently Philip featured in the press. Go on then. So, a roofer feared he would lose his leg after he believed to have been bitten by a false widow spider. Uh, Tony Main, who's 32 from Beenham in Berkshire, was called into hospital as his leg began to swell badly and was showing signs of a serious infection. So how does that happen? 
He was actually bitten whilst he was asleep, uh, staying at his brother's house, and found the false widow spider on the curtain by his bed. He told the brother to get rid of the spider as soon as he saw it, but he thought the spider had already bitten him as his leg had begun tingling. So what did he do about it? Um, initially, he was just given antihistamines and antibiotics by the doctors, but then they called him back later um, to hospital when they saw the blood test results. And they warned him that if the venom, venom continued to spread, he may well need an operation and could even lose his leg. And he's actually undergone some surgery, mm. but only time will tell if he actually may need further operations or even a skin graft. Gosh. And so what does he have to have to say about the whole thing? Um he said basically that he he feels lucky in the sense that it could have been a lot worse than it was mm. and that actually their neighbour has subsequently found a false widow spider nest in the guttering under their roof. Mm. Um, it's been noted that over the last couple of years with our milder winters, it's led to a growth in the false widow spider numbers and the spiders are being more active than normal at this time of year as the males are moving around more extensively looking for a mate. Gosh, an unexpected consequence of climate change there, I guess. Absolutely. So, uh, I mean, for everyone listening, they might be a bit concerned about this, you know. Yeah. Uh, roofers obviously need their legs. So yes. uh, what, what can we do to kind of keep an eye out for false widows and, and what do they look like? Um, so, yeah, as you said, best thing to do, be vigilant and have a, have a look around for them. Um, or don't, as a case may be, but keep an eye out for them. They're medium in size mm -hmm. um, with a round brown body, which has got mm. cream colourings on the back of it. And their legs are sort of an orangey-reddish colour. Um, and both the body and the legs itself have a kind of quite a glossy appearance, so quite quite unique um, to identify. Well, quite an unusual story there, Pip, but yes. uh, I guess a useful one for everyone to know about, and so everyone keep your eyes peeled, especially if you have a, a mild winter. So, final news story for today, Phil? Yeah, so listeners may have heard of the new Green Homes Grant Scheme. So this is uh, a new government initiative um, that is being has £2 billion worth of vouchers for homeowners in England to spend on upgrading the energy efficiency of their property or investing in low-carbon heat. Okay, and so when you say energy efficiency improvements, what type of thing would that include? Hmm. Well, they actually split um, the improvements into two categories. So you have primary categories that you have to do first, and then secondary categories that you could do after you've done those primary categories. So okay. in the primary section are things like loft insulation, flat roof insulation, and cavity wall insulation. Mm -hmm. And in secondary are, are things like uh, double and triple glazing. Okay, so that all sounds good. Yeah, so since the scheme was announced, the government have um, confirmed that companies have to be uh, Trustmark registered or, or registered with the microgeneration certification scheme for those doing things like uh, air source heat pumps or, or, or um, solar thermal panels on the roof. Okay, and so for an NFRC member, does that mean that they can take part in the scheme or do they have to have additional registration or accreditation in, other, in another way? Well, the government have since clarified um, following the announcement that all contracts have to be trustmarked, but they also have to be accredited to PAS 2030 2017. Okay. And so that sounds like a mouthful, but what <laughs> actually that is, is a, is a publicly available standard um, that accredited by UCAS, the accreditation body, um, for those undertaking energy efficiency works. And the reason for this standard is um, with previous energy efficiency programs, there's been um, some issues around quality. Uh, and there's a big review um, that looked into this called Each Homes Counts, and that, that 
propose a new standard, um, and that's where Palace 2030 really did come from that. And okay. it takes a whole house approach. So it looks at mm. energy efficiency in the whole. So if you're upgrading one part of your house, that's going to have an impact on, on another part. So what yep. you don't want to happen is to install insulation that then causes damp and mold. And so really, Palace 2030 takes that whole house approach makes sense, and makes yeah. it and sees that sees the whole house as, as one system. And so for the homeowner. Um, how much can they apply for and how would they actually go about doing it? Well, um, if they are um, a homeowner, they can apply for um, up to £5,000 for two-thirds of of the work uh, and 100% up to £10,000 for those who may be on universal credit or another form of of benefits. Okay. Uh, Also, landlords can also apply for vouchers for their individual properties too. Um, so any homeowner or landlord who wants to undertake work for the scheme will need to go to the Simple Energy Advice Service website and they will be able to talk you what kind of works you can do on your house and will then have a list of eligible contracts, uh, contractors in their area. Uh, so the scheme um, it was launched uh, this month and it's going to run until March 2021. So quite a small window, mm. really, and quite a lot of money to be spent in, in that short period. Yeah. Um, but the government have indicated that if the scheme is a success, they may extend it into the future and potentially broaden the scope. And we at NFRC are very much um, pushing for the scheme to include things like solar PV and green roofs. Okay, so potentially more good news in the future. Um, and where should NFRC members go to for more information? Well, the best place to go in the first instance is Trustmark website. Fantastic. Thanks very much. So we're honoured to be joined on this episode by Professor Noble Francis. Noble is the Economic Director at the Construction Products Association, where he oversees one of the most respected teams of economists in the industry, producing numerous surveys and research. With a PhD in Applied Economics, Noble has over 15 years of experience producing economic forecasts. He and his team's work are regularly featured in the national trade press, television and radio. And in 2018, Noble was appointed Honorary Professor at the Bartlett School of Construction and Project Management at UCL. Most importantly, however, Noble is a friend of the NFRC. So welcome, Noble. Thank you very much. So Noble, tell us a bit about yourself and a little bit about the Construction Products Association. Okay, well, the CPA has 20,000 members across companies making everything from bricks and glass to steel and interiors, lighting, the whole gamut of uh, construction products and materials. We have three teams that cover regulations, standards, sustainability and then my team and my team tends to focus on economic forecasting what we try and do is inform government industry and our members about what is likely to occur in the whole construction sector across all the different types of construction and the key issues driving each sector and so with regards to so this different scenarios, can you tell us a little bit about the constructionist product association scenarios that you produce and, and why they might be important to our members? Okay, well, I've been doing this for around 15 plus years now. And each quarter, what we tend to do are produce forecasts. So 
up until 2015, this tended to be forecasts across 30 different construction sectors and subsectors, everything from housing to water and sewerage to private housing repair, maintenance and improvement. The first year tended to be an estimate. The next two years would be a forecast because we know what general drivers there are for each sector. And then the final two years would be a projection based upon long-term trends in each sector. We're in a period of time now where there's a lot of uncertainty, having been through the COVID period. Mm. We're in the period of recovery at the moment. And so it's absolutely vital for firms to be able to look ahead to see what may be coming in their particular sector. But given the level of uncertainty at the moment and the number of different types of uncertainty, what we can't do is tell you in a particular sector or subsector. Things will be growing 2.35% because that's an unrealistic level of certainty. So what we try and do are provide some scenarios depending on certain assumptions around whether COVID comes back with the colder weather in winter, uh, the rate of recovery, what could be happening to the sectors that you're interested in Mm. and your members would be interested Mm. in. So the most recent scenarios was published in August, is that right? Yes. yes. And and so could you just give a an overall picture of, of what that said in terms of where the economy and the construction industry is at now and, and where you see it going in, in the future? Okay. Well, our main construction scenario was based upon a sort of V-shape, which is better than described as a tick-shaped recession and recovery. Mm-hmm. So what happens is that we had the social distancing restrictions coming in on the 23rd of March, which obviously constrains the level of activity in the economy that could occur. Mm -hmm. Unlike previous recessions, the biggest impacts are in the services sector, where it's person-to-person interaction, particularly affecting cafes, bars, restaurants, uh, tourism as well. But it inevitably impacted construction as well. And it affected construction from the 23rd of March. So you're looking at late March, April and May with social distancing restrictions easing from Mm mid-May, which enables recovery from, in practical terms, June. So June and the third quarter of this year, you'd expect relatively rapid recovery Mm -hmm. because you're coming from that low base. Everything was shut down in Q2. You reopen things and so things recover relatively quickly initially. Once you get after the third quarter of this year, you're looking to a period of time when the furloughing scheme ends. You're looking at a time when the self-employment income support ends as well. And so you would expect unemployment to increase significantly, assuming that the government doesn't extend these schemes. And so far it's said that it won't. But if you look to other countries like France and Germany, they have now extended their furlough scheme well into 2021 because they're concerned about those sharp increases in unemployment. If we don't get uh, an extension to the furloughing scheme and the self-employment income support scheme, you would expect sharp increases in unemployment across the economy, particularly affecting services and that could hinder the rate of recovery for economic growth. Mm. 
Mm. And so taking all of that into account, is there anything that is specific that could, could have meaning for the roofing industry? Yes. I mean, when you look at what that would mean in terms of construction, if you look at some of the key sectors, then after the 23rd of March, then most house building sites shut almost immediately. The only activity in late March was effectively closing the sites. April, most of the sites were shut. May, you started to see some of the sites reopening, but mainly in June. Some of the general construction sites stayed open, particularly where social distancing and other safety measures uh, were able to be implemented. You're looking in particular at infrastructure sites, which in general stayed open throughout April and May. Mm -hmm. The key issue will be, as we reopened the economy as the social distancing restrictions eased, what you look at is a relatively rapid return to site. So June, July, and certainly the first half of August, you would have seen activity would be red hot in some areas. Mm -hmm. It'd be red hot because you've got that pent up demand Mm. where you physically weren't seeing the work done late March, April, May, combined with whatever the new normal level of activity is. And those two together means that you will be seeing an awful lot of roofing activity at the moment. And I suspect your members will be seeing that. Yeah, I was going to say exactly that, that we've sort of noticed our members have said that they are, you know, very busy in that sector at the moment. But the concern is, is that primarily pent-up demand? Mm. If you're looking at something like housing and particularly residential refurbishment projects... What happens after that pent-up demand has fed through, which, given that the social distancing restrictions covered late March, April and the first half of May, you'd expect it to take three, four Mm. months to feed through. Mm. So you're looking at autumn and particularly winter as being periods where you don't have that pent-up demand anymore. Mm -hmm. And then if you look outside of residential, you're looking at commercial projects, industrial projects, there's a return to site uh, relatively rapid after mid-May, but those are primarily a return to site to finish off projects that were started pre-COVID. What Mm. happens when those projects are finished? Who's investing in the new projects? Well, yeah, the government um, are aware of this and they they had the build, build, build speech, you know, just before the summer and we had uh, Rishi Sunak's plan for jobs. Um, do you, can, are you seeing that money coming through to the industry at the moment? And, and what impact will that have overall, do you, would you say? I'd be a bit wary of government announcements. Government tends to like large announcements that make big headlines and get <laughs> good press that cover billions of pounds worth of work. If you look at £5 billion New Deal that the Prime Minister announced with his build, build, build uh, quotes... That was all covering announcements that were re-announcements of existing funding or reallocations of existing funding. What was more interesting was government put out a national infrastructure and government construction Mm. pipeline, which won't get so many headlines because it's a long list of projects, (laughs) where 
all of those projects will be coming through in the financial this financial year 2020 uh, 21 and government is doing its best to accelerate those projects that will be much more important mm. than big announcements of finance announcements of big projects all of which take time to come through if they actually do come through mm-hmm. so we've we've mentioned um the house building sector quite significant you know, quite a lot how do you see things shifting in the commercial sector for example office and retail spaces over the short and, and maybe medium term i think short and medium term i'd split into two mm-hmm. short term there's still quite a lot of commercial activity there because most of the towers that were started pre-COVID have clearly not been finished, mm-hmm. so there is a return to site to do the activity. The big concern is that social distancing and other safety measures, particularly within London, mean that productivity on those sites has been hindered. It means it will take longer to do those projects, mm-hmm. and the biggest of those towers that would have been finished in summer will now more likely finish in Q4 this year, so at the end of this year or early next year. And the key question there is, if it takes six to nine months longer than initially anticipated, even if clients don't impose late clauses, mm-hmm. which, to be fair to clients, don't appear to be, uh, they don't appear to be doing, mm. it will still cost more to do those projects. Yes. Who is going to be paying for that? Is it going to be the main contractor or, as is usually the case, will it fall upon the specialists and the Mm. subcontractors? Mm. Then if we take the medium term, we've just been through a six-month experiment as an economy (laughs) whereby a lot of office workers have been working from home and some of them still are. A lot of people have been quick to call the end of the office and the end of high street retail. Mm. I'd be a bit wary of that, uh, calling long-term trends based upon a few months. (laughs) It's nice for commentators to do and it gets big headlines. Mm. But from a more practical sense, I don't think you'll see everybody who was working from home in April and May continue to work from home five days a week Mm -hmm. ad infinitum but equally I don't think you're going to see that they'll be working five days a week in the office anymore Mm. especially for those people who were working in London but based outside of London so you're inevitably looking at a hit to officers demand for existing officers space Mm. That has a knock-on impact into demand for existing retail and leisure, bars, cafes, gyms, etc. And if there's a hit to demand for existing space, then it obviously has an impact upon the incentive to invest large amounts up front you know, your 300 pound million towers, Mm -hmm. mixed use developments, particularly in London, for a long-term rate of return, because you're unsure about what that rate of return is. Mm. So long-term, there has to be a question about who is going to be investing Mm -hmm. in new additional 
office space, uh, retail space, cafes, bars, leisure mm. space, mm. particularly within urban centres. Mm. And just while we're on the topic of medium to long term, um, I just want to talk a little bit about some of the risks facing the industry and, and mm. some of the other challenges apart from apart from COVID. Risks is an interesting area. I don't think I've lived through a period where there have been so many different mm. key risks. Mm. If you look back to the financial crisis, then clearly there was uh, an issue around supply of finance, uh, hitting mortgage lending in particular, which hits demand, which means house builders get hit, the major contractors got hit. But that was clearly a big one-off hit to demand. Mm -hmm. uh, what we have at the moment is the impacts of COVID, which we haven't seen the full impacts of mm -hmm. yet because we've got the furlough scheme there, the self-employment yes. income support scheme. We also have those long-term projects, whether it be on the infrastructure side, the commercial side. So we haven't seen the impact on new demand yet. Mm -hmm. We've also got pent-up demand, so we haven't seen what the new normal level of demand is for refurbishment, for housing outside of stamp duty holiday and help to buy. Yes. What we will need to see after the furlough scheme, after the self-employment income support scheme, is what's that new normal level of demand yes. as unemployment rises. Mm. We'll also need to see what the impact is on the major contractors and the major house builders from the financial hit they've taken mm -hmm. uh, to their balance sheets this year and the increased cost of construction. Who will be bearing those costs, mm -hmm. which generally, if you look at historically over the last 30 years, has been the supply chain. Yes. You can look at other issues such as major contractor margins, which at the best of times is two to three percent on average and this isn't the best of times yeah. um, you can look at other risks such as global economic growth uh, you can look at uh, the biggest uncertainty over the next few months which could be brexit mm. and whether you're for brexit or against uh, brexit is largely irrelevant there are still impacts on uncertainty impacts on the currency, which uh, most of your members won't be thinking about, but if you have a significant depreciation in sterling, which tends to come from uh, uncertainty about UK economic prospects and what will happen political uh, uncertainty-wise, then you have depreciations in the currency, which leads to significant increases in costs of imported products. Mm. So. Mm. If you look back to when we had the EU referendum, even though nothing significant changed after 2016, in early 2017, we saw the significant impact of the depreciations in sterling on imported products, whether yes. it be insulation or timber, double digit price uh, uh, inflation there. Mm -hmm. And that obviously impacts on any in input materials you use into your products as well. Then we also have the issue around what could potentially happen uh, looking into early next year. Uh, from the imports perspective, only one quarter of 
products used in UK construction are imported. Most construction products are are actually made here. Mm -hmm. But even for the products made here, you might import some materials for that, or you may import some components that are used in your machinery. Yes. And this isn't the best time to be stockpiling. Mm-hmm. If you look back to the original Brexit date in March 2019, most firms had around three to six months worth of products stockpiled in advance just in case yeah. something was to occur. And this time, we obviously had a big hit in terms of production of materials mm. in Q2 due to COVID. Uh, not only that, Q3, because the market has been relatively red hot, mm. most of the stocks have been used. Yes. Firms aren't thinking of stockpiling. And even if they were, are you going to be investing at the moment in stockpiling? Mm. Yes. Do you have the cash piles available? Most firms don't or yeah. aren't willing to, mm. given that they've stockpiled twice mm. before mm. and it's cost them a lot of money. Yes. So. Yeah. Uh, there are issues there about what firms can do in terms of business planning. Mm. Yeah. So heading into the last quarter of the year, is there any practical advice that you could give roofing contractors out there? I think the key elements of what we do as forecasters is try and advise businesses in terms of, firstly, what they should be ready for. Mm -hmm. So... Q3, enjoy the fact that the market is red hot at the moment and uh, enjoy the level of activity and the margin that is there at the moment. Don't expect it to stay at this level for the next six to nine months, uh, but enjoy it while it lasts. And once the pent-up demand has fed through and outside of housing and refurbishment, enjoy activity on projects that were started pre-COVID, be aware that activity levels won't remain at those levels and look to the sectors that may be enjoying significant increases. Mm -hmm. And it may be an area you haven't naturally thought about. Mm -hmm. For instance, when I'm giving presentations, uh, webinars to firms, I tend to mention infrastructure and also some areas such as ports. Now, most of your members will be thinking, well, I don't do infrastructure (laughs) because I don't make rail tracks, I don't build roads, I certainly don't do tunnels for water and sewerage, (laughs) and I don't build ports infrastructure. Um, But remember, if you've got a project which officially is 56 billion like HS2, but is more likely going to be 100 billion over a period of time. Most of HS2 is not the rail tracks or the ballast. Mm. An awful lot of the project is doing station uh, refurbishments, expansions, which includes doing small office units, small retail units Mm. within the stations. And so you may think as a firm you don't do rail infrastructure but you actually do (laughs) and you don't need the whole of the hs2 project the biggest winners clearly from hs2 are your balfers and your costains they're the ones that get the headline projects but you don't need those projects what you need is a small package within a package within what one of the main contractors has won and that's still a few million pounds worth of work Mm. yes yeah and if you look at ports Yes, you don't build ports infrastructure, 
but an awful lot of what the ports are going to be doing in terms of expansion in preparation for Brexit and well afterwards will be the warehouses that are mm -hmm. going to be built, um, the offices that will be need to, needed to deal with the certifications. Mm. These are all buildings that you can benefit from. Or have roofs. And <laughs> don't forget, as much as I was downbeat about commercial because of, uh, from the retail perspective, mm. high streets not being uh, very good given office workers aren't going to be around, given that people will be working from home a lot more, particularly office workers, it does mean that there's much greater demand for online sales mm -hmm. and people can benefit from the increased warehousing capacity yes. that will be needed there. Yeah. And even outside of the double-digit growth we can expect in warehouses over the next few years, which will be a long-term demand, if people are working from home a lot more, there will be lots of little projects around communities rather yes. than big urban centres. Yeah. Just because people aren't going to be spending in shops, yeah. you know, such as mm. your Pret-a-Manger's <laughs> on Victoria Street in London, <laughs> they will be spending in little shops in their mm. communities. Yes. Mm. So it's always worth looking at the little communities, looking at the big structural changes in demand, and there are hundreds and thousands of opportunities for millions of pounds of work mm. in what is a sector that like construction that's worth over 150 billion pounds a year yeah great well some fascinating insights there noble and some really helpful advice thank you very much um so where can members go for any more information if they want to find out more about any of the research you've done if they're interested then they're more than welcome to read our 100-page document on the scenarios <laughs> if you really want to. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm, my, my guess would be that most of your members don't have the time for that <laughs> because they're too busy working. Um, so what you can do is either look at the summary version, mm -hmm. which is a webinar. You can get more information via NFRC, mm -hmm. who have access to all our information. Mm -hmm. And it's all free. We're not charging for any of this because NFRC are members of mm -hmm. uh, CPA. Mm -hmm. You can also email me or you can uh, follow me on Twitter if you're a <laughs> social media person. And most of the information we have is all freely available to you. And That's what's great. your Twitter handle? At Noble Francis. Great. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all we have time for. But thank you very much, Noble. Uh, it's been a great discussion. So now time for our technical tip. And we're joined by Gary Walpole, the Safety, Health and Environment Officer at the NFRC. Gary, what do you have for us on for this episode? Um, well, the technical team are working on guidance for um, a zero avoidable waste in construction. I don't know if you're aware, but the uh, government's uh, waste and uh, resources strategy aims to eliminate avoidable waste of all kind by 2050. Now, that might be 30 years away, but we need to start reviewing what waste we produce and handle. Um, mm. So that's what we're working on. So what do you mean by waste, Gary? 
Well, waste could be um, anything you take off the roof or um, waste products from what you've put on the roof. And that could be packaging, that could be slates and tiles, that could be um, uh, roofing membrane. So what we're doing, we're looking at the uh, waste hierarchy, and the waste hierarchy is pretty much like a, a, a safety hierarchy, working at high hierarchy. But it looks at the more, most efficient method, which is preventing waste, right down to the less efficient, which is disposing of waste. And so what practical tips do you have for any roofing contractors out there who want to reduce their waste? Well, at the moment, I think it's important that everyone starts to actually review what waste your company produces and handles. And you can ask yourself the um, um, well, the, the questions regarding um, what waste can you salvage, for example, you know, or reuse. Mm-hmm. Um, if we look at slates and tiles, that we've been very good at recycling in in the roofing industry over the past hundred years. So um, it's a good opportunity to actually just take a step and a breath and actually look at the waste and see if you can um, be more efficient with the materials you use. So Gary, where can members or anyone else who's interested in this guidance note find it? Yeah, it's going to be. Um, published on the uh, sustainability pages of our website brilliant okay so so look out for that it sounds like a, a really interesting yeah, document yeah yeah just, just remember that it's a starting point for the mm-hmm. industry uh, that's that's great gary thank you so that's it for this episode thank you to our guest professor noble francis and to gary for his top technical tip we hope that you enjoyed what you've just heard and hope that you can join us for future editions please make sure you subscribe and do share this with your friends and colleagues so it's goodbye from me and goodbye from me Back on the-